Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello, and producer Annabelle Lee, how are you? I'm good, how are you? We are all (laughs) Coming up on today's show, Kanye West has officially moved on from his marriage to Kim Kardashian. Megan Thee Stallion's music video is equal parts mesmerising and traumatising. Chrissy Teigen would like to apologise. G-Flip is a gender smoothie. Why did I write so many things in this intro? <laughs> and then the M. Rada Instagram photo that caused such a stir. People can't stop talking about it a week on. But first, Zara McDonald, how was your week? A good week. Nice to be out of the house again. Nice yes. to be going to the odd restaurant. Was also great that we announced our newest project, our newest podcast last week, the books that changed my life exclusive to Listener, where we basically get to talk to people we like about books they love. Yeah, and if you're not a bookworm, I still think you'll love this podcast. Basically, it's using books as a platform to then launch into like quite deep conversations about that person's life. So yes, we talk about the books they love, but then we talk about what they've learned along the way, different aspects of life, whether that's relationships, career, religion, everything in between. So even if you're not a bookworm, I still think you'll get something out of these conversations for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. Our first episode dropped on Tuesday with Kevin Kwan, who of course is the very famous author of Crazy Rich Asians and he was such a delight, so clever, so delightful. The book that he recommended on that podcast, People Like Us, I've already read, like not before he recommended it, like after he recommended it, I bought it straight away. I read it so fast and I adored it. So the recommendations coming out of this are incredible. Epic. Love that so much. What's your recommendation for the week? Well, I realise now it probably should have been that book, (laughs) but it's not what I had written down. That is a great book. Maybe I'll recommend that and explain it next week because I need to talk about... We're not here next week for sure. Oh, shit, we're not. Uh, That also was meant to come up. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a second as well. I want to recommend... And I re-listened to Olivia Coleman's interview on David Tennant's podcast. Now, I listened to this episode when it first came out, I think in 2019, because David Tennant had launched his podcast at that time and he was like all over the charts and he was mm. he kept beating us and I wa- wanted to know what the fuck the deal was. <laughs> and I listened to this interview, but I actually didn't know them very well at all. 
I re-listened after I said last week I had binged the first season of Broadchurch and I adored this. But you don't need to have watched Broadchurch or really either of them to love it. It is so wholesome. They seem like two famous people who just are so normal. (laughs) And it was really interesting. Olivia Coleman spent much of the time on this episode. She doesn't really talk about her private life, but she did speak a lot about how she hates fame and I feel like you don't hear many celebrities talk about that because they think they get scared mm. of talking about that for sounding ungrateful. But her basic premise is like I don't think she thinks it's a fair trade-off for the work that she does. The, mm. She basically lives as a hermit. She doesn't really leave the house with her children unless she's going to another house and it was just like a very interesting perspective on fame. After I listened to the episode, I started Googling Olivia Coleman's like Oscars acceptance speech and I was in an Uber on the weekend like crying because <laughs> I was watching it and I I was like, I've got some serious Olivia Coleman issues here. <laughs> anyway. Fun fact, I think people know this, but she is the godmother of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. What? I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Is that why she was in Fleabag? I assume so. Wow. That or because the British acting scene is quite <laughs> yeah. small and they all just act in everything. All Phoebe, incestuous. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is in Broadchurch too. Annabelle, this is why I love you being here <laughs> in every recording, bringing your fun facts. Do we need to fact check? <laughs> I trust you. Close enough is good enough. How was your week? My week was good. I am tired today because I stayed up watching Crazy Stupid Love, which is a film that I've watched so many times I can literally say the words as it's happening. I'm surprised that you give up sleep to re-watch something. I find it very comforting. As a person with anxiety, I just like it. Also, Annabelle, I think I'm beginning to share your weird fascination, adoration for Steve Carell. Like I'm finding Steve Carell very hot now. Like, you know, when he goes through the makeover scene? Yes. I started to think, wow, I would have sex with Steve Carell. (laughs) Have either of you seen The Morning Show? Yes. The morning show with is Jennifer Aniston. Or... Yes, I have, and he plays a dick. Yeah, do yeah. You still he love plays him after a dick. That? No, but I think because he so convincingly plays a dick, I'm like, wow, he's a fantastic actor. Oh my god, <laughs> props to him. I That's did not attractive. fall in love with him after that show. <laughs> What's your recommendation this week, Michelle? My recommendation for the week is again another thing based on old content. On top of watching Crazy Stupid Love, I also rewatched the Sex and the City movie. Anyone who follows us on Instagram would know as such because I shared a clip from the Sex and the City movie that really stood out to me as one of the prime reasons that everyone in our generation has body issues. It was quite fat phobic. Apart from that, I enjoyed rewatching Sex and the City. I used to love the series. I loved the first movie, absolutely despised the second. And that is why I am obsessed with a podcast series called Sentimental in the City with Caroline O'Donoghue and Dolly Alderton out of the UK. It is just incredible listening. Those two have such good chemistry, such good banter, and it's genuinely so fun, warm and clever to look back on old content with a new lens. I think it really harks back to that Friends conversation we had, Zara, where you can appreciate the content, appreciate the show, have very close ties to that show still emotionally, while also being able to pull it apart intellectually. I have seen this podcast everywhere and I've had so much FOMO for the last couple of months because I've never actually watched Sex in the City. So I was like, I can't listen to this podcast without watching the show. And so I said to you the other day, I actually think I might start watching the show now to see if I even like it. Also so I can listen to the podcast. (laughs) It's a lot of effort. Did you watch it, Anna? I did. We had like the box set. Yes, same. So I watched it as a kid, which was kind of inappropriate. Same. (laughs) I used to sneak into my big sister's bedroom because I was not allowed. Like my sister turned 18 
Brandon Shear was allowed. My parents did not allow me to watch Sex and the City. I would sneak into her bedroom and we would watch episodes together. And it was like the highlight of my week when I was 15. Yeah, that's so nice. See, I also wasn't a Foxtel kid, just to remind people again. <laughs> and I used to see it at friends' houses on Foxtel, but I never had that either. So I mean, the tiniest violin in the world <laughs> for me. Hey, before we get into today's first segment, we need to talk about the fact that we're not here next week. We're no. not here for three weeks in a row. Yeah, we're taking a break. And I'm so excited. I'm so sorry. We are actually here next Monday. We weren't meant to drop a third episode of the Jen, Brad and sort of scandal series, but we realised there's just too much to cover. So we will actually drop an episode on Monday when we are technically not in the office. And then after that, we're taking three Thursdays off and then two more Mondays and then we'll be back. (laughs) We're making things confusing for everyone, but you get more Jen, Brad and Ange content, which is good because it's the most downloaded scandal series we've done so far. Yeah, exactly. And if you do want more of us as well, it is why we dropped the books that changed my life just before we went on break. So there is something there that drops on Tuesdays, but we will be back on the 12th of July. I just said that off the top of my head without <laughs> looking at my calendar. You are the calendar queen in the shameless office. Yes, we will be back on the 12th of July and hopefully we've had lovely breaks. We'll I- be very well rested, guys. Annabelle, you're also taking a break. Yes. We're all going to come back so rejuvenated. I bloody hope so. I also, <laughs> I also hope so. I have another holiday book that I have here. May well be cancelled again. Anyway, first segment of the show, Mish, we are starting with Kanye West's new love. He's moved on. He has moved on and we know as such because the Daily Mail published this exclusive story last week. This ran under the headline, Exclusive Pictures. Kanye West and Arena Shake are dating. Rapper rebounds with Bradley Cooper's model ex on very romantic trip to France for his 44th birthday, just months after Kim Kardashian split. Yeah, big headline, as is no surprise with the Daily Mail. So who is Irina Shake? I knew of Irina Shake. You know how you have just like a standout memory of how you know someone because she used to date Cristiano Ronaldo. How do you know her? I know her. Well, first of all, I used to be into Victoria's Secret and modeling yes. stuff. So I used to watch her walk catwalks and obviously she's gorgeous and beautiful and amazing. I also remember her, unfortunately for Irina, sitting in the audience at the Oscars, I think it yes. was, when Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga performed. And we discussed that performance on this podcast, Zara, and said that maybe something was awry in Arena Shake and Bradley Cooper's relationship. They had a child together at the time. It was only like six months after that performance that they split. Yeah, exactly. So Irina is a Russian model and actress. She was actually the first Russian model to ever land the cover of Sports Illustrated back in 2011. So quite a big deal. Interestingly, Mish, in 2010, she starred in the music video for Kanye West's single Power. Mm, They go way back. Later that same year, Kanye released a song called Christian Dior Denim Flow. that it included the lyric I want to see Arena Shake next to Doubtson. Doubtson is another Victoria's Secret supermodel. Yeah exactly. She also has modeled for Yeezy which is Kanye's brand. Now as we said before Irina had a five-year relationship with the actor Bradley Cooper. They split in 2019. She also had I think a five-year relationship as I said with Cristiano Ronaldo. So she's had very high profile relationships and very high profile breakups. Now as you said at the top of this segment 
Daily Mail publishes super, super grainy photos of them. What, getting off a plane? Yeah, they were near a private plane in some of the photographs. In other photographs, they're just going for a stroll through a park. And like Kanye would pause to take photos of Arena Shake just looking hot as the supermodel that she is. So we've seen them in multiple locations around France. So yeah, that's exactly right. And they stayed at this huge, I mean, who are we surprised? No. They stayed and apparently a luxury 600-acre boutique hotel in Provence to celebrate his 44th birthday. I love that you say Provence. I would have read that and be like, Provence? <laughs> Can you tell I did French from year 7 to 12? I actually don't know any French at all. <laughs> so they were celebrating Kanye's 44th birthday and this is a quote that was given to Page Six by a source close to the couple. <laughs> Kanye was with Arena briefly before Kim. He had pursued her a long time ago. TMZ also got the jump on this. They wrote, sources connected to the new couple tell TMZ, Ye and Irina have been together for months, seeing each other as early as March. Yeah, so Kim and Kanye split in about December. That's when the rumours started to really swell, right? Yeah, she officially filed at the beginning of the year. Yeah, so that's, I guess, pretty quick. But as we know, these two were spending huge amounts of time apart, like living across the country. What I found very interesting in the coverage about this relationship is Page Six had some really interesting hints in their pace inferring that this may be a publicity stunt. Mm. So this was one of the quotes in the Page Six article. A source in the Kardashian camp mused of West and Shake. It's good for both of them to be in the news in a positive way and nobody knows if the romance is real or not. The piece went on. Another fashion insider added Shake is just as media savvy as West and knows how to play the game. To command the biggest contracts, models now have to be perpetually in the news as well as on the runway like Kendall Jenner. The insider said, for Kanye, it's about keeping up his image. He has a stream of projects coming up, plus this is excellent for her career. Yeah, an interesting theory. I'm not sure if I buy it that you it never is a PR stunt. <laughs> what I will say, one tidbit that I think does lend itself to the PR stunt theory is that the first time we kind of went, ah, Irina and Kanye and Item was in April. And that was because she was papped wearing his t-shirt, which would say that it's benefiting him commercially. Well, that's what I was going to say. That plants more of a seed for me in terms of it being a publicity stunt than anything. I just love that an anonymous source from the Kardashians have planted this seed, whether it's true or not, saying mm. it's just great that they're in the news in a positive way, whether the relationship <laughs> is real or not. Like it's so cutting. It's almost amazing. As we touched on last week, the last episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians aired last Friday where Kim Kardashian finally actually talked about the disintegration of that relationship. And her quotes are really sweet. I don't, maybe sweet's not the right word, but sad and sweet in the same way. Yeah. And relatable as well, I think. It was really interesting. So Kim was sitting on a couch across from her mum, Kris Jenner, and she was talking about about the demise of her relationship with Kanye. And she said this, I want someone that we have the same shows in common. She went on to say that she was jealous of Khloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson because every day throughout lockdown or throughout the pandemic when it was at its peak last year in the US, they would wake up every morning at 6am and work out together and Kim would join them. And she was saying, I'm sick of being a third wheel. Like it's so great looking at a couple who have something as simple as exercise in common that they bond over every single morning. As an aside, I think it's quite worrying if you are comparing your marriage to 
Tristan and Chloe Her and feeling like Tristan. <laughs> like not the best comparison. If anyone's going to be the standard of a healthy relationship, I'm not sure that Chloe and Tristan would be the best standard to follow. She did go on though. I want someone that wants to work out with me. I was like, wow, it's like the little things is what I don't have. I have all the big things. I have the extravagant everything you could ever possibly imagine and no one will ever do it like that. I know that and I'm grateful for those experiences, but I think I'm ready for the smaller experiences that will mean a lot. It's so true. I mean, it really did make me think, and I know that we had a conversation on the way to coffee yesterday, Mish, about I'm really intrigued as to whether relationships can survive when you don't have at least a few core overlapping interests. Mm -hmm. Like I know that there's that age-old saying that says opposites attract, but in my life, at least anecdotally, I feel like the best couples I know have relatively similar personalities, relatively similar goals and relatively similar interests. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just my life or if that's a fair assumption. Yeah, I'm thinking about the healthiest relationships that I'm kind of privy to or on the periphery of. And I certainly think a lot of the people that I'm close to, the couples I'm close to, are very like each other. They have a lot in common that they bond over. And I think that's really important. Of course, everyone has differences. Totally. But to be profoundly different doesn't always end in success. What do you think, Annabelle? I agree. I don't have many people in my life that are dating someone who's completely the opposite. I also think that people kind of mould into a similar kind of person the longer they're together. (laughs) It's actually very true. The longer you're together, you just find similar interests and share them together. I mean, I do want to know from anyone listening to this, are you fundamentally different from your partner and does it work really well? Like that's the stuff I really want to hear because I don't see it as much in my own life, but that's not at all to say it can't happen. Coming up after the break, the Emrata photo that prompted so much backlash, she had to turn the comments off. But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. I think we might have six stories on our hands today (laughs) and you'll learn why very soon. (laughs) Michelle Elizabeth. Oh, she's stumbling. (laughs) Nearly holiday time. What have you got for me? My first story, Megan Thee Stallion's Thought Shit boasts the best (laughs) music video of the year so far. That is from Rolling Stone. So much to talk about. So much to talk about. We played this in the office yesterday yesterday. Annabelle, you were not there. No, I wasn't. You should. I don't know if you should be relieved or if you should feel FOMO because this music video is the most memorable music video I think I've ever seen. Absolutely the most memorable. And it was like up until the, it's also like the last three seconds of the music video. Let me back up a step though, before we really get into it. So this music video feels very much like a response to conservatives who lost their minds at WAP last year. I mean, we remember that iconic music video. We spoke about it on the podcast. So basically the video starts with like this white old guy, a US senator who's reclining on a chair in his office and he's watching one of Megan the Stallion's music videos. He's eating like cheesels or something grossly. I would, I would say more of a twisty yes, sorry, cheese snack than very a Very important fact. I've actually never been into the cheese snacks, which is a <gasps> because we love our cheese snacks in the office. So they they are all the same to me. (laughs) So he comments on the video as he's reclining back and watching it. Stupid aggressive whores should have their mouth washed out with holy water. 
Weirdly, though, he he comments that and then starts to pull down his pants as if he's going to enjoy himself while watching the video. Enjoy himself is a very palatable way of putting it. <laughs> well, Trish McDonald listens to this podcast. <laughs> Trish, she's having a wank. <laughs> no, oh my God, Mom. So sorry. <laughs> my dad listens to every episode. <laughs> anyway, so he is about to masturbate to Megan The Stallion's old music video, when the song kicks off. Now, this is referencing a real-life tweet from last year when James P. Bradley, an actual senator, commented on Cardi B and Megan The Stallion's WAP video, and he wrote this. Cardi B and Megan The Stallion are what happens when children are raised without God and without a strong father figure. Their new song, The WAP, which I heard accidentally, <laughs> made me want to pour holy water in my ears. And I feel sorry for future girls if this is their role model. So basically, Megan The Stallion has taken that commentary and made this incredible music video where she and a lot of her backup dancers kind of take this US senator and terrorise him with yes. their asses. Yeah, like they're twerking. <laughs> and they are obviously incredible twerkers. Like I look at shit like that and I'm like, I cannot move my back or my bum Have that you ever way. tried to learn how to twerk? Yes, all the time. time. This is what we admitted to each other while watching the video. It was so funny. Zara and I were sitting there being like, have you ever tried this in private? And she was like, yes. And she's like, have you? I'm like, yes. And it was humiliating. And I was the only one around to see it. I look like, a, I, I always look a bit like a duck because my arms are moving back and forth. For context for the listeners, Zara's doing the movement. Right now. <laughs> I'm trying. I can't do it. Anyway, so the reason that this is such an iconic and memorable and Michelle said mildly traumatising video is in the last, like, I don't want to talk about it. The last, like, five seconds of the video, they've sewn a vagina onto his face. Oh, my. So he just, <laughs> has a vagina for a mouth. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> it's like the most discombobulating image. I just wasn't expecting it. Like I had really enjoyed the music video. The song's quite a track and then you get to the end and you just see a vagina as a mouth and I was just like floored. I was FaceTiming my sister Evelyn. I made her watch this last night because I'm like I need to see someone else's reaction. So we got on FaceTime. I'm like you need to watch this video and you need to watch it till the very very end. She's a doctor so I'm like I wonder if a doctor's going to respond to this in the same way that I did. She was traumatised. She like couldn't even speak for like a minute. <laughs> it's I, mean, I adore what people like Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion are doing in just completely pushing back and refusing to submit to anyone else's standards. Like mm. pushing the boundary even further. Yeah. Like, it's very funny. Like, it's funny. And I love that they have a sense of humour with it. I can't wait to poll you guys in here. Do you love or loathe this music <laughs> video? I'm somewhere in between. I loved the first 95%. The last 5% I probably could have done without. I can't get the visual of a man with a vagina for a mouth like out this. of my head. <laughs> don't, do it. don't do that. <laughs> Annabelle, I'm going to make you watch that. <laughs> no one saw what I did, but I... <laughs> you need to leave. Do you, you need a break? You can imagine what I did. I'm pursing my lips together. She really needs a holiday. <laughs> give yeah, her a break. Give me the next one. <laughs> my second story. Chrissy Teigen issues lengthy public apology. I was a troll. That is from news.com.au. Big news out of Camp Chrissy Teigen this week. Yeah, this was a really long statement that she issued, as we've mentioned quite a few times on the podcast in the last month or so. She has been under fire for bullying young women in particular on Twitter about 10 years ago. And in this statement, she wrote, I know I've been quiet and Lord knows you don't want to hear about me, but I want you to know that I've been sitting in a hole of deserved global punishment. The ultimate sit here and think about what you've done. Not a day, not a single moment has passed where I haven't felt the crushing weight of regret 
for the things I've said in the past. She went on, I've publicly apologised to one person, but there are others and more than just a few who I need to say sorry to. I'm in the process of privately reaching out to the people I insulted. It's like my own version of that show, My Name is Earl. I understand that they might not want to speak to me. I don't think I'd like to speak to me. The real truth in all of this is how much I actually cannot take confrontation. But if they do, I am here and I will listen to what they have to say while apologising through sobs. Yeah, so I think generally people are saying good to release a lengthy statement, good to really take complete ownership over what you've done. I had a bit of an issue with that last line, but if they do, I am here and I will listen to what they have to say while apologising through sobs. I reckon you could have just deleted the last four words. Yeah, which is so funny because when I first read through this statement in its entirety, and you guys should go read the full statement. We can't read it all here. It's like an essay. Go to her Instagram page, flick through all the different slides. Zara said to me when we briefly discussed this before the episode, oh, I didn't like that line. It didn't stand out to me at all when I read the whole thing. But now when I read it back... I am a bit like that makes this about you and this makes it a little bit self-pitying. And I imagine this has been very, very difficult for her. This has been a huge turn in her life and a very, very dark period, no doubt. I don't think that line and I don't think the joke about my name is Earl needed to be in an apology about telling young women to kill themselves. I just found it odd because I thought any expert PR professional would say, I appreciate that you probably will be apologising while you're crying because this has been a very emotional time, but let's just strip that back. I mean, I also know that we live in a world where no apology is ever accepted perfectly. I think we have a real habit of nitpicking apologies, but that I was like, that just easily could have gone. Like you don't Mm -hmm. need to centre yourself in this. You absolutely don't have to. I think one thing that I probably didn't say enough when we did our big segment on Chrissy Teigen a few weeks ago is I really don't want to live in a world where people can't come back from this. Like I would really love for her to do a lot of good work in the anti-bullying space now. I want her to take some time out, yes, but I want to live in a world where she can redeem herself for things like this by actively rewriting the wrongs. And I mean, it remains to be seen whether she can do that. Yeah. I mean, this is what I hate about cancel culture. And I find it really interesting, even with some shameless listeners, every time we talk about someone's mistake or every time we talk critically about someone's actions on this podcast, some people come back to us and go, oh, well, do we just have to cancel everyone? We don't have to cancel Chrissy Teigen. Like I am not at all sitting here and saying Chrissy Teigen can never come back from this, never have a career in the public eye again. She needs to do work to get there though. I feel like we're in a place now where everything is so black and white. We either approve of someone or we don't approve of them and they are forever going to be in the shame corner where we can never let them back in. I hate that way of thinking. Like we want to be able to accept people back in once they have made up for their past mistakes. So I think she can do good and I think she can come back, but I'm not sure we should just welcome her back in with open arms immediately. I also wonder if it's a bit of a cop out to say, I'm not good with confrontation. I've only reached out to one person. Like we know there are many people publicly, there are many names that she could Google and send them a DM, send them an email. Like confrontation doesn't have to be you meeting up with them face face-to-face and groveling. But reaching out isn't that hard in 2021. I also think as an aside, that concept of I actually can't take confrontation is a big adult cop-out. I don't know if that's going to be like a very unpopular opinion, but I appreciate that confrontation is not a comfortable thing for most people. But it's like our job as humans to be good at confrontation when we've messed up. Like it is the biggest and best thing you can ever do to say, I am uncomfortable right now, but that's not the most important thing. I am just going to sit here and tell someone that I was wrong. We all have to do 
that. We all have to do that. And to say that we don't like confrontation or it's just not me feels like a cop out because it's like none of us love it. Yeah. 24 hours after this apology came out, Chrissy Teigen was accused by another person of bullying. Former Project Runway star Michael Costello claimed on Wednesday that a misunderstanding between him and Chrissy Teigen back in 2014 left him suicidal. So it's an A murky, weird story, but I will try and sum it up as quickly as I can. Basically, Michael Costello claims that back in 2014, he received a public comment from Chrissy Teigen on his Instagram page accusing him of being a racist. He says that the racism controversy was manufactured and fake from a disgruntled former employee. He says he didn't say the N-word. People online said he did. What Chrissy Teigen sent to him, though, was very reminiscent of what she told Courtney Stodden and Farah Abraham and people like them. Chrissy Teigen apparently wrote to him, racist people like you deserve to suffer and die. You might as well be dead. Your career is over. Just watch. Yeah, hard stuff to read, hey? And I think it does sort of fit neatly into that narrative of how she has allegedly treated a whole other people over the course of the last 10 to 15 years. I mean, I think this apology is just one step of like hundreds perhaps Mm. that might need to be taken, but no one's saying the steps can't be taken. Mm. My third story, G Flip announces they are non-binary. I'm non-binary motherfuckers. That is from (laughs) Junkie, Australian singer-songwriter Georgia Flippo, aka G Flip, friend of the podcast we've had on for an In Conversation episode, Zara, has come out as non-binary via Instagram writing, that's who I've been my entire life. They will be using they, them pronouns from here on. They are such a delight. Like that interview that we did with G Flip back in the day, I think it was last year, was such a wonderful time. If you guys haven't listened to that, I would really, really recommend listening. I mean, G Flip, as we know, has released some incredible music in their time. They went on to write, big props to those who have been educating and advocating for the NB community the last few years. Looking into what it means to be non-binary had me realise that that's who I've been my entire life. Going to use they, them pronouns from now on too. I'm still the exact same person. Non-binary is just the best way to explain who I am and how I've always felt like a gender smoothie. Also, go pies. <laughs> <laughs> As a Richmond supporter, I do not endorse that final <laughs> message. Good on them. It's so good to see. My fourth story, the projects Carrie Bickmore and Kate Langbrook exchange a very frosty moment as they appear to clash over the topic of working from home. That is from the Daily Mail. Now, why are we including this story? We're including it for the sole purpose of exposing it as a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) I always get a bit nervous sometimes when we want to do this with the Daily Mail and we have to read out the headline first and people may think we're endorsing the story. We are not endorsing the story. So... As we said from that headline, the Daily Mail has framed this as a very frosty exchange. We're going to play the audio for you right now so you can hear it for yourself. It's so hard. There's nothing better than a vibrant, bustling city. But the flexibility it's created for workers who couldn't, you know, keep up going into the city every day. Yeah. Well, apparently, yes, the one thing better than a vibrant, bustling city is working from your bed. That's the problem. Well, if you're not in that city that is no longer vibrant or bustling, then you probably don't care. Cool. So that was it. (laughs) That was literally it. It was the most innocuous exchange ever. 
I want to talk about how the Daily Mail clearly had absolutely fucking nothing to write about. So they grabbed two women on primetime television, grabbed an innocuous exchange between them and concocted a catfight. They used words like the awkwardness was noticeable, categorised it as a tense moment and then added that Carrie was cut off, that Kate was quite irritated, used a curt tone and was eyeing Carrie sternly as she spoke. Which, just trust us guys, as two people who watched the video, this could not be further from the truth. Like, this was literally the most benign, nothing-to-see-here exchange ever on national television. This is entirely symptomatic of a digital publication having a dry news week. Not much has happened in the Australian news cycle this week. They needed to concoct a story. They needed to get more eyeballs on their website And they created something from nothing. So if you saw this headline, if you scrolled past it, or if any of your family members saw it and brought it up with you, correct them, nothing was to be seen between Carrie Bickmore and Kate Langbrook. Yeah, and always just a really good reminder to have a very keen eye over these headlines and these stories. My fifth story, Angelina Jolie spotted leaving her ex-husband's apartment again. That is from Nine Celebrity. Now, if you have listened to our Scandal series, Jen, Brad and Ange, as I said at the top of the episode, it's our most popular series so far, Zara. This is the story that keeps on giving. Decades later, Angelina Jolie has been rekindled or reconnected in some way, shape or form with her ex-husband, Johnny Lee Miller. It's so funny because I feel like... We're putting something out into the universe. <laughs> is this manifesting? I don't know. Is she all manifesting? No, it's giving she... yourself too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a manifester, but I'm starting to understand. So I found the opening line from the Cuts article very funny about this. They wrote, the celebrity backslide game has become such a widespread reality within the past two months that I don't even have a joke for you. I only have photos of Angelina Jolie arriving at her ex's apartment twice within the past week, first with a bottle of wine, then with one of her kids. Yeah. So now Johnny Lee Miller is the guy that Angelina Jolie met on the set of Hackers. If you have listened to Scandal, you would know all this. They married in 1996. Then they divorced quite soon after and she got married to Billy Bob Thornton. Exactly. Now, Angelina Jolie was actually in New York on a holiday with all her children. This is a line from a People article about the meeting. The exes have remained good friends over the years. The source adds that Miller's son and 12-year-old Knox are friends and that they were also there the night that Jolie was spotted leaving Miller's place. So perhaps just two old friends catching up. I mean, I really love that, that they have two sons who are really, really good friends. What I found interesting, though, about going back through this marriage is that there are some quotes on the record from Angelina saying the dumbest thing she ever did was break up with him. So the first quote came when she spoke to the Calgary Sun, where she's at Calgary in Canada. I know it's in Canada, but like what a niche publication (laughs) to give such a juicy quote to. I know. Yeah, but remember anyone who's listened to Scandal, she gave that incredibly juicy interview to like a French magazine as well. She's very well known for doing this. She said, Johnny, and I never fought and we never hurt each other. I really wanted to be his wife. I really wanted to commit. In a 2004 interview with B Magazine, she reportedly said that divorcing him was probably the dumbest thing she's ever done. Something's in the water, guys. No, Something is in the water when it comes to old couples oh, from the yes. early noughties or late nineties rekindling. So glad I brought that up because my <laughs> sixth story is at long last, Benefer has given us a little kiss. That is from the cut. Guys, Jen and Ben are back 
on. I know that half of you are going to skip forward like three minutes to get to the last segment because you don't give any fucks. We still give fucks. That, but we did do the kind thing of not including it in the top five. We added, <laughs> we didn't eat into your content. We simply added content. We're giving you value. <laughs> so as we know, they are back together after 17 years. They were spotted on Sunday at Nobu in Malibu. Page six published these photos of the two of them macking on during the meal. Oh, we don't say that. Yes, we're we not do. in year eight in high school. <laughs> they, but I, macking on to me is like really going at it. No, but they weren't really going they at were. it. They were. Sarah, they had a meaningful kiss. Macking on is like when you have saliva all around your like nose. Well, page six says... They obtained exclusive photos and video of the two of them kissing extensively oh during the meal. Oh, my God. However, I should add that <laughs> it was for J-Lo's sister's 50th birthday and her two children were there. <laughs> <laughs> so not macking on? Probably Just not. Just kissing like a normal couple. I do have to squeeze in some news, though, on the topic of oh famous God. exes getting back together. A-Rod J-Lo's ex has also been hanging out with his ex-wife, Cynthia Skirtis. He posted on Instagram this week that he did a 54-day fitness challenge alongside her and some other friends, then reposted her Instagram story saying, Cynthia is a world-class mommy to a... Leave that in. What was that? Mummy. No, I I read it as as it was spelled. Cynthia is a world-class mummy to our girls. Wrapping ice though? Lol. I would like to add one more thing to this unfolding narrative. Last month, we missed this, Us Weekly reported that Jennifer Garner also might be getting back together with her ex, Callie Berger CEO. Now, wait for this. You will not believe it. His name is John Miller. So we're coming back full circle to Angelina getting back with Johnny Miller. Okay, you did do this. This was all you guys. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I wasn't just joking around. Are we changing the world, yes or no? (laughs) So she's reportedly kind of rekindling with him. They started dating in 2018, reportedly broke up last year because he wanted to get married. She didn't. Now they might be talking again. Also, none of these people might be getting back together. (laughs) Might just be fun headlines. I need to lie down. Is that all you've got for me? That's all I've got. Thank you, next bitch. Another day, another Emrata photo that unwittingly becomes the centre of an internet debate. This week, the 30-year-old model posted a photo in a bikini on holiday with her three-month-old baby in her arms. Sure, the baby was held a little awkwardly, but in came a barrage of intense and brutal commentary. Why is she holding a baby like that? Does she care more about her body than her baby? Is this actually what motherhood looks like? Mish, we have so much to unpack today, so much of which focuses, I think, on concern trolling and how it festers online. And what I do want to acknowledge right off the bat before we even get into this conversation is we are obviously not mothers. We've had many a conversation on this podcast before about whether we're ready to have kids, about what that would look like. And I think many of our thoughts and feelings are informed by that sentiment for sure. Informed by the fear. By the fear, absolutely. (laughs) So I wanted to say that straight up. But I think the first place I wanted to start with you is with the actual photo. Well, let's start with the photo because I do not want anyone listening to this podcast to feel like they are beneath us and we saw this photo and were immediately thoughtful and analytical about it. Because when I saw this photo, truth be told, I took a screenshot and sent it to you and said, what the hell is going on? This is literally the exchange that we had when I immediately saw the Emrata Instagram post. I sent you the photo and I wrote to you, this photo stresses me out. She's holding him so weirdly. His head looks so uncomfy. I don't even think it's an internalized misogyny thing. If a guy was holding a baby like that, I'd be like, what the fuck? So I want people to know, 
I saw this and immediately went, what's up with the baby's head? That baby does not look supported in the way that you would expect of a three-month-old baby to be held. Yeah, so it started here. Conversation started here and people's eyes were drawn to this photo because the baby was held a little bit clunkily. And because of that, as you can imagine, it's one thing to hold a baby a bit clunkily. And as we know of the internet, they very much like to go wild at things and wild they did. And we often know that the response is never proportionate to the action. So she disabled comments very, very quickly after getting an influx of comments from followers. And I think the interesting thing about this story that I wanted to really deep dive in today is that I think absolutely commenting that a baby is being held awkwardly especially in this photo, feels a little bit like fact. Like Mm. it's like, yeah, we don't need to extrapolate any meaning from that. That's just a thing that's happening. But I think what happened in this story in particular, what stems from a very normal comment, comes a bunch of faux concern with people desperate to find some false meaning in this. I think people wanted to have a conversation about her holding this baby a tiny bit weirdly in order to make a point about her body, her narcissism, whether she's a good parent, whether she cares more about showing her body than caring for a child. Yeah, absolutely. And to explain this accurately, it was not one still image. This was a carousel of four images. In the first two images, the baby's head is kind of off at a bit of an odd angle that looks uncomfortable. In the third image, though, you can see she's actually manoeuvred the baby in a way where his head is absolutely fine. And we've seen publications in the week since reach out to experts and actually get their opinion on whether or not this kind of holding is dangerous. And most experts, in fact, I think all experts that I've read have come back and said, look, it's not ideal to hold a baby with his head like that for very long, but we can see that she didn't actually do it for very long. She did it, manoeuvred him, and within seconds he was fine again. And I feel like that's very important context that has been very, very much lost in the commentary. Well, that's probably where the story should have ended if it even needed to get to that point Mm. anyway. But Refinery29... Yes, wrote a piece about this photo. They also interviewed an expert about whether the baby was being held okay. But then they continued the story trying to explain away why she has a pattern of holding things weirdly on her Instagram account. And this is a quote from the piece. It really is such a puzzling pattern that I felt I needed one more expert's insights. According to body language expert Patty Wood, these photos have little to do with what's being held. The message is clear. The photos are about her. Whatever she's holding, be it flowers, puppies or a baby, are mere artefacts, accessories that we are sending a non-verbal message about her personality and her brand. Mm. Like what are we doing here with a conversation like this? Like this is literally proof that we are trying to extrapolate meaning about who she is as a person based on one photo and I feel like that meaning that we're trying to extrapolate is that she's a narcissist purely based on how she's holding things. Yeah and what I would say to that is does it matter if she's posing with things as a secondary prop to her? Like it is her Instagram account. She is a supermodel known for being very very attractive. If she's holding a puppy in a way that makes the puppy look like a prop you could probably point your finger at 10 million Instagram influencers and say that they do the same. It kind of reminds me of this idea that women, once they become mothers, are expected to be carers above anything else. Like you become a mum and that is your main identifier before we even reach who you are as a person or what makes you unique. Emrata is a model. She has been a model for far longer than she has been a mother. It's very interesting to me that we expect her, whenever she's in an Instagram photo, to be holding something and that to be the focus. Why can't the focus be 
her. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, this is her career. And I think one of the most frustrating parts of the conversation that's happened after this photo was published was an article that ran in Romper with the headline, what is it about the M radogram that makes me so depressed? Now it was written by a Canadian writer by the name of Emil Niazzi. And I have a lot to unpack in this piece, like so much. I read this on Friday night after I got home from dinner and I'd had a few wines and I was raging. The first line that really annoyed me was this. I bet you it's what I've got written down. Yeah, I bet bet we have the same ones written down too. (laughs) The photos the model recently (laughs) shared on Instagram holding her new son seem almost designed specifically to piss off different parts of the internet. She's in a bikini and she's tiny. The baby's head isn't being supported and she's holding it so awkwardly because she's trying to get the perfect bikini body shot. It made us feel a lot of things. I mean, I really want to unpack that line, seem almost designed specifically to piss off different parts of the internet. She's not doing anything remotely offensive. Like you are making a decision to feel attacked or spoken to by this image, but that's not her doing. Yeah, the stand first of this piece was just as bad. The latest viral photo from M. Rada's Instagram is not a portrait of parenthood. It's a bikini pic that just happens to have a baby in it. Why does anything have to be a portrait of parenthood? Like who is coming to Emrata and saying every post you now create has to be a portrait of parenthood if it has a child in it? Can't we live in a world where the woman is the first priority in a photo and the child is a later priority? Like why does the baby – I understand. Don't get me wrong. I understand the baby looks awkward. I commented on that. I believe that. I agree with anyone saying that. We've past that now. Everyone agrees with that. But why does Emrata have to provide you with an accurate portrait of parenthood? And what is an accurate portrait of parenthood? Everyone's parenthood looks completely different. It's completely subjective. I mean, there was another line that was like, motherhood obliterates your sense of self, particularly your relationship with your body, and her photos feel like a desperate plea to see her as we saw her before the baby, so why bother including the baby at all? It's nasty. Like, she's allowed to have a photo with her body and her baby because it's her body. Like I think you're allowed to feel stuff about people's photos. Like you are very much allowed to scroll through Instagram, see someone on holiday while you're on lockdown and feel things about like that's such a normal human emotion. I think what we're not allowed to do though is project and verbalise it or or try to extrapolate some grand meaning about womanhood and parenting when in reality it's just made us feel something about ourselves. Yeah, well, in reality you're just being snarky. Like you can try and hide behind some kind of social political analysis that helps the world. This piece is not helping the world. Like this quote, her need for us to see that she still looks like that is palpable. Like is it palpable or does Emrata just look like that after birth? And is that okay? Like, can't Emrata yes. thrive? I find this to be such an interesting thing that we do to new mothers. Don't we want new mothers to be thriving? Don't we want them to be happy? Don't we want them to be on holiday and living their best life? Why do we want new mothers to suffer? And why do we find them thriving to be offensive to us if they're doing well? Yeah, exactly. And I think... The common thread here in this piece as well is that the baby is very much an accessory. Like it was touched on in that Refinery29 piece, it's touched on in this one. And I feel like 
one thing that's missing from this conversation is the fact that perhaps the baby feels like an accessory because the baby is to the side with his head facing away from the camera. And it's like M. Rada doesn't share photos of her baby's face. She doesn't really share photos of her baby in full. The baby is never going to be the fixture of the photo because she's so fucking famous. It's a privacy issue. Mm. And of course the baby is not going to be the centre of this photo. Do you think we don't let new mums become the centre of anything anymore? Like you become a mum and all of a sudden the centre of your universe has to be your child. I don't think we do that to new dads. If a new dad posted a hot photo, no one would be like, this is not a portrait of parenthood. Like we expect new mums to develop an entire identity around motherhood that we don't expect of men. I think we expect new mums or mums in general to be like wholly connected to their babies in a way where they almost don't have an identity outside them. And I think that what we expect of them is to have this incredible sense of like maternal love that is obvious and palpable. Mm. And I think that this piece in particular was really frustrating because it was the inference that because she looks hot and because the baby's not the centre of it, she's not that maternal and she doesn't really know what she's doing. And I think we've had conversations on this podcast in the last sort of couple of months being like we're at an age now where people around us are starting to get older and get engaged like you or get married or people are falling pregnant. And I'm in this place where I'm like, I don't feel ready yet and I don't know when I will feel ready and I don't feel ready because of conversations like this. Mm. It's because I don't want to be part of commentary like this. Like it it really frustrates me that you can't be anything else but a mum almost and it's like I want to be so many different things and I think inherently I felt like maybe I'm not that maternal because I want so much and I think that's just a message that the world has fed me. Yeah, so much outside of that as well as that. Like I want to be a mum one day, absolutely. Do I want everything I do to suddenly be a reflection of who I am as a mother? No. And also not every photo has to serve the viewer Like, can't Emily Rada be served by her own Instagram content? Can't she do whatever the hell she wants? And if you don't like that content, can't you unfollow? Like, why do you have to follow her? Why do you have to take everything she posts so personally? It's actually not about you. Well, that's exactly right. It feels even a bit self-destructive to even not unfollow or to continuously seek them out. It's totally fine to be triggered by someone else's post. I feel like that's the Instagram experience in a soundbite. That's every second post I scroll past. Yeah, it is. But it's our job as humans to put boundaries in place and to protect ourselves when we feel like something might make us feel shitty, even though the intent wasn't to make us feel shitty. Like that is our job as humans to do that. And I feel like this whole story, both the romper piece and the commentary around it, has put so much blame on Emrata for living a life because ours doesn't look like that. And it's like, fucking hell, put down the pitchforks. Yeah, it's like asking yourself that fundamental question, is this a me thing or is it a her thing? And I think in this case, awkward baby leaning aside, this is a you thing. If you're finding this so viscerally frustrating, that's human, that's normal, but click unfollow. Don't then take that really toxic hatred. Don't let it ferment inside you and then put it on the internet where it's actually going to affect a human who just posted a photo of her with her baby and then had to disable comments because they got so intense and so ferocious. I really loved one tweet from Pandora Sykes. She was one of the few dissenting voices on Twitter who vocalised how ridiculous she found that romper piece. She wrote, M. Rada annoyed people because she was hot. Then she had a baby and she annoyed people because she was hot. 
Yeah, I think that's bang on. Hey, that is all we've got time for today. And that is all we've actually got time for for the next three, three weeks. <laughs> weeks. Woo-hoo. <laughs> no, thank you so much, as always, for listening, guys. We so appreciate your support all the time. And I think we probably don't say it enough anymore mm. because we've been doing this for so long. But I think it's been such a wonderful first half of the year. It is still such a joyful job, genuinely such a joyful job. And we are so stoked to be able to do this every week, even though we're very excited for a holiday. <laughs> yeah, and I I also think the first six months of this year have been the most enjoyable time actually doing this podcast. Yeah. Like having you in these recordings, Annabelle. Oh. I'm getting all soppy. What's happening to me? Am I it's hormonal like, right now? It's like we're quitting the show. We're taking three weeks <laughs> off. No, but like it's been such a great start to the year. We love coming onto these microphones every single week. It'll be great for us to have a break because we'll come back even more energised. But thank you for supporting us. Thank you for subscribing, following, reviewing, sharing. We are so, so grateful. Yeah, in the meantime, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. Mish goes on leave from next week, but I am still in the office, so I guess I've got to run the Instagram account. <laughs> if the memes get real rogue, everyone knows why. Good luck to you all. But we will be back in your ears, as we said, on Monday, and then three weeks after that. Three weeks after that, if you want to still have us in your ears, download the Listener app, listen to the books that changed my life. There are some banger episodes on the way. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.